1: On this episode of the Multi Amory podcast, we're talking about how to increase your own personal well being. Most of what we're speaking about today is based on research in positive psychology, as championed by Dr. Martin Seligman, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and former president of the American Psychological Association. We will include some self exploration exercises that have been clinically shown to increase well being and combat depression and anxiety. And we'll also discuss some criticisms of positive psychology and how those ideas can also be incorporated to help improve your life.
0: Yeah. All right. I mean, why does this matter? <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of reasons why this matters, especially in relationships, right?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, I think that we talk a lot on this show about happiness in relationships and trying to have happier mm-hmm. relationships, but just having a happier self uh is i think a big part of that right
0: so why does well-being actually matter here cuz it it reminds me of this phrase like in order to love somebody else you need to love yourself first i like oh, how you so what what do we think about that
1: i like how you say it in the sort of like in order to love yourself first like you it it instantly makes you go into that kind of voice <laughs> when you say a quote like that i <laughs> no, think no
2: exactly like well but, i feel like that gets tossed around so often and honestly i think that One of my issues with that quote is just in, like, as a culture, we don't even really know what love is in itself. Mm. And so then to tell someone, well, you need to love yourself um, first, like, it's already problematic, right? It's like, you need to feel this ephemeral, indefinable, uh, kind of confusing... Thing that comes in many, many different forms, but I'm just gonna tell you, just love yourself. Um,
0: yeah somebody asked but, us that at yeah. our live show, and mm. <laughs> we couldn't even answer the question, <laughs> right. which is really funny right. to me.
2: yeah,
0: I mean I, so I feel like
2: I feel like that's the first problem with it is the fact that it's like, sure, I can be like, okay, sure, I'll love myself, but like what does that actually mean? Does that mean treating myself nicely? Does that mean masturbating a lot? Does it mean <laughs> You know, feeling good all the time does it mean feeling happy all the time like and i I personally don't think it means any of those things, but I think that's the problem with that common piece of advice is that it's just a little bit too vague and unattainable i think mm.
1: yeah it it makes me think of well, just the fact that we use love to mean so many different things, right, like I love pizza is a very different yeah, sort of thing than I love myself versus I love you, mom, versus I love you, lover, right? Like, there's Mm -hmm. all of those mean very different things, even though we call them all the same thing. So, I think that's another problem with this statement is just this kind of, well, I think that self love is a very different thing from loving another person.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That it's,
1: that it's, this sentence makes it out as if it's this kind of one to one thing, I guess.
2: But I think what I'm excited about in exploring this episode is that. Um, in increasing one 's well being we 're not just talking about just you know self care and self love because I feel like those two things are very important but they're um i think we 've already all gotten that advice um, <laughs> and I think what is really interesting and some of the stuff that we're going to be exploring today are more concrete things, more about thought patterns, I think, than about Mm -hmm. trying to change your feelings about yourself or things like that. But like specific thought patterns that you can change in order to have increased well-being. And maybe increased well-being is a part of your self-love or your self-care. Maybe it's not.
1: We also talk a lot on this show about our relationships being better when we approach them with less need. And I think that the one thing this this saying of, you know, you need to love yourself before you can love somebody else. One thing it is kind of getting at is this idea that if you go into a relationship with the hope that they're going to fix everything for you and they're going to be the thing that that makes you happy or makes you feel more stable or to you, you know, all those things we've talked about are kind of these cliches from our movies that are actually quite unhealthy <laughs> to look at relationships yeah. that way. So I think that also looking at well-being is really important to see that, yeah, our external factors like our relationships aren't going to be the thing that give us well-being that that is something that is more of a personal work more of something that we can work on ourselves
2: Mm -hmm. so So what's the first part of this
1: okay so the first part of this um is we're going to start by talking about the way that we interpret events in the past and the core concept here is this concept of learned helplessness and learned optimism Basically, what this is, is based on a whole lot of studies and we could make this episode a super, super technical one. Uh, but instead we won't, but we will include some links to articles and things like that. If you want to read up more on this uh, in the episode notes, but basically through a lot of studies um, found that well-being is very strongly related to this sense of helplessness or optimism and helplessness, you know, could also be called pessimism but basically, it's the difference between something bad happening and thinking this one specific thing outside of myself happened right now that was bad versus thinking this bad thing happened. That must mean that my life is bad. It will always be bad and that all of the world is bad like this. Right. Wait, it's, can I
2: argue with you a little bit?
1: Yeah, go for it.
2: Okay, Okay. because my argument is, when I was reading about this, because I, I feel that when I was growing up, I, like, I got a lot of learned pessimism. I made a joke earlier that it was learned realism, but it's, I'll, I'll say it like it, is. like it is. I think I got a le- lot of learned pessimism growing up. However, I don't think I got a lot of learned helplessness. Like, I think I got actually hmm. a lot of learned autonomy and independence, but mashed with pessimism. So I, I would argue with redefining learned helplessness as pessimism, Okay. I feel like there, it's a little bit, some subtle differences there.
1: I mean, I guess that's probably why they use the term learned helplessness in the literature instead of <laughs> learned pessimism.
2: So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But I think that that in this, though, at least from my understanding of it, the the reason why it's helplessness is kind of more the idea that this is always going to be bad and there's nothing I can do yeah. about it. Um, right. That that's sort of the key component to uh, a lack of well-being. Um, to mm. you know, for people reporting themselves like not not feeling as good, not feeling fulfilled.
0: Well, s- sometimes it's challenging to kind of differentiate like the event from the emotion behind the event. And I don't know. Is, is that? Do you think that based on this, that's a learned thing? Like getting your emotions involved regarding an event that's just like, well, I feel X because of this, and therefore I feel helpless because of this. I guess, is is that the argument for that that's a learned thing?
1: Yes. So, okay. I'm going to start off with a quick preface here, saying that with, with psychological studies, the way that they work is obviously they get samples of however many people, and they do a study and they try their best to control for other factors so that you're just looking at at specific things. Now, that said, you know, you'll have a study where it says, oh, in it, you know when doing this particular thing it decreases the rate of whatever by 25% or 50% or 75% that doesn't mean that it's 100% effective for everybody cuz right mm-hmm. it's still only 50% or 75% it just means that compared to a baseline of doing nothing you have you're more likely to have a positive effect and that it's very statistically significant so i just want to preface everything that we're going to say in this episode with that understanding of how psychological studies work Okay. because I'm I can see people right now going oh, but in my case X Y or Z and yes that that might be true hopefully these things would still be helpful for you even in those cases um, but just if we are saying that something is helpful with like depression or anxiety that doesn't mean it's some bulletproof cure and that if you haven't done this it's your own fault that you have these things anyway just want to start with that clarification uh, well, and do you have another question about that before I answer I just your question
0: to... Yeah, no, I was just going to ask, like, why Why is it good to be optimistic? What's, like, a good thing about well, being optimistic in one's life?
1: Right. So optimistic, being optimistic and learning how to be optimistic, because it is something that has been shown that it can be learned, that... Mm-hmm. In addition to just reporting higher well-being, this has also been linked to things like uh, recovering from injury for athletes, and actually less likelihood of getting an injury as an athlete has also been linked to optimism. Uh, Lower risk of death, specifically from heart disease, uh, greater success in career, and greater success in academics have Mm -hmm. both also been linked to specifically learning optimism, And so in answer to your question before, um, that yes, a big part of this is in looking at the way that we interpret events from our past. So uh, this is taken from some techniques that were developed for teaching to children in schools and have actually since been developed and is actually taught in the U.S. military. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some companies are also starting to employ this now. Uh, But basically the way it works is this program taught kids in school to look at things that could happen in their lives, you know, uh, imagined situations because you're doing it as a class and then you're asked to apply those to things in your real life is to look at those and to look at the conclusions that you've drawn from things that have happened. And then to ask the question, is there another explanation? Is there Mm. a, a possible other explanation for this? So one example is bullying, right? A bully comes up, says you're a jerk you're a stupid head give me your lunch money right and you could come away from that thinking gosh i'm i'm a jerk people are mean to me right you could make those sorts of thoughts and often as kids we do we do feel that way it's like oh gosh this is what the world is like it's awful
0: yeah
1: and so in this exercise the kids were asked what's another possible explanation for it and it's like well um maybe they had a bad day because they just lost their baseball game and they were feeling upset and so they needed to take it out on someone else right one possible yeah. example or maybe maybe they don't have any friends and so they want to take it out on other people to make themselves feel better or right you, you basically it's just this it's like coming up with possible other solutions not saying that yeah. those are necessarily the answer but just that you're taking away some of the strength of this one belief that's negatively affecting you, which is that no one likes me and I'm worthless.
0: Yeah. right. And it's kind of placing it on something else. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool.
1: And so another example of this would be you go to lunch and you see Mm -hmm. that all your friends are sitting at one table, but they didn't leave a space for you. And they don't seem interested Mm -hmm. in having you sit with them. You could think, oh, no one likes me. My friends all hate me like this. But instead, the kids are asked to look for other explanations like, oh, well all of my friends are on the volleyball team and I'm not on Mm -hmm. the volleyball team, so maybe they were actually having a team meeting and they excluded me because of that and not because of this other thing, right? That it's just that, just kind of looking at other possible explanations. Okay. So I wanted to take a moment and think about how this could apply to some of our dating lives as we talk about on this show. And I think the, the easy one that comes to mind is being rejected, right? Yeah. So this could be, let's, let's take the example of being rejected for being polyamorous. Say let's say you're polyamorous Mm -hmm. and you're talking to someone you're interested in and you mention that you're polyamorous and then they say, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested or yeah, that's weird. Yeah. That I think without realizing it, a lot of us can go to this place of, Oh shit, no one's going to love me because I'm polyamorous or you know no one no one's going to date me or this thing makes me unlikable maybe i should hide it from more people maybe i should wait longer to talk about it maybe dating's not worth the effort right there's all sorts of conclusions we could draw from that so the exercise would be and i'm going to put this to the two of you what would be some alternate explanations for that
0: um, they don't want to date someone polyamorous because it's triggering to them due to the fact that their father cheated on their mother when they were young.
1: Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Dad, Dad, you got anything?
2: Well, I mean, I feel like the direction I would take it in is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And rather than trying to come up with different explanations for the other person's motivations, more coming up with different explanations about myself, like... So as in the story about myself is not, oh, I'm unlovable and no one's going to love me, but more of like, oh, this means that I have the opportunity to find someone who is interested in this.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: like, clearly that person was not the right person. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if that still counts, if that's, if no, that's the yeah. correct answer no, or not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. different, Different explanation yeah, like, for sort of, it's about challenging the challenge. meaning that we give to events that happen. Right? Mm, right because here. as as humans we are meaning making machines right mm-hmm. we one of the reasons why we were successful evolutionarily is believed to be the fact that we give meaning to things that don't mm-hmm. in themselves have meaning but we give meaning to them it's why we have lore it's why we love storytelling it's how we've created religions right all all of these things and those have really worked to keep us together as a society and to help us you know progress culturally but there are it is kind of this double-edged sword where it, it also mm-hmm. can cause these sorts of uh negative meanings to be attached to things when they don't need to be and they might not serve us to be
0: yeah yeah interesting so <laughs> This all kind of sounds a little woo-woo to me, but <laughs> apparently it's been studied with really good results. Um, uh, apparently, like there are studies involved with taking time away from academia to teach positive thinking in kids, and then it's been shown to actually increase test store test scores dramatically um compared yeah. to like other control groups yeah this, so that's this one really was cool
1: really cool it was this exact yeah. technique yeah. of teaching them how to to question the meanings behind mm-hmm. events and other reasons for them and that what i love about this is that the study not only showed what they were aiming to show which was that this would increase well-being as when they tested the the kids well-being later on it was yeah. increased those kids also had I think half the rate of depression and anxiety as they started going through puberty. This was done like, oh, wow. in kind of middle sc- or, you know, elementary, middle school age yeah. children.
0: So they um, were taught to, like, do this over and over again and make it a part of their life?
1: Yeah, that it was an actual uh, unit hmm. that they were taught in school. So time was taken wow. away from whatever, you know, history or math or yeah. maths for our British listeners out there. Jesus. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, But what was really cool is that not only did these kids report better well-being, but they actually also scored better on standardized test scores in the control groups. Right. Mm. So something that actually took time away from academic learning, which you would think would negatively affect test scores, actually improved them. So it's just another example of how this kind of thing does affect lots of other areas of our life, like I was saying about academic achievement and also um, success in your career because yeah. it's easier to stay motivated and get through challenges and have higher energy toward the things that you're doing.
0: That's awesome. Um,
1: the other really cool thing about this is that they followed up this study a couple years later after the study was concluded and found that that group still scored higher on standardized tests and had less incidence of depression and anxiety than the control groups, even a couple years after you know the program was was stopped. They only did it for that one year. So that's also very cool that these, this is something that you can actually learn. It's not just like, Oh, I'm in a cool program. So that's making me more motivated right now.
0: Yeah. It's creating healthy habits.
1: Yeah. Healthy mental habits. Yeah. Cool. So the next thing we wanted to move on from is from there is into the present. So yes, have, (laughs) I I imagine many of our listeners have heard of the Myers-Briggs personality type test. Right, uh, I'm a an INFJ according to that test. I don't know if you guys know what you I'm, are.
2: I'm an I'm an INTJ, and I've retaken it multiple times, like throughout my adult life, and it's pre- stayed pretty much the same.
0: An ENFP, I'm not sure, something like that.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't remember what you are. I know we've talked I about know. this before. We've
0: talked about it a lot. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Well, but you know what? We should all take those tests and post about it in the patron only Facebook You're right.
0: group. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we all the
1: all the Patreon supporters can talk about their Myers Briggs types.
0: Yeah, um, let us know, guys.
1: So what i what I actually wanted to bring up though is a different way of looking at yourself compared to the Myers Briggs. So the Myers Briggs test, just quick background, is based on type theory, which is something that was created by Carl Jung, and it's cool. It's fun. I have a lot of friends who are really into it. Um, it's it you know reminds me a little bit of other personality sorting things, like which uh, Hogwarts house are you, or uh, your Enneagram number, or right, there's, there's lots of these different things, or even horoscope, I suppose, although that one's not based on taking tests, that one's just when you were born. Um, but the idea is that it categorizes you, right? That each of the four letters is on a spectrum between two different things like introversion and extroversion or um, uh, what is it, judging or, or perceiving, right? Mm-hmm. There's these different things. So they're all kind of on a spectrum. You're one or the other. Uh, and obviously, depending how far in one direction or the other you are is also significant. But essentially, it's for, uh, I guess, just kind of, finding a type for yourself. And the test was developed intentionally to not change. It was meant to mm-hmm. evaluate what they believe is sort of this in type theory is that this is your personality and that's just what you're born with. And that's who you are for your life. Yeah. And it can be useful in exploring things about yourself. Um, and it's also well-being neutral. And what I mean by that is that whether you're introverted or extroverted, it's not like one is better than the other. It's not like, Oh, I'm stronger in this score, right? This is just about kind of identifying where you are. And while that's cool, it's not really geared toward uh, being able to actively do anything to increase your well-being with it. Like maybe it'll help you choose your career or people Mm -hmm. use it in the workplace. Um, the Myers-Briggs test has received a lot of criticism in psychological literature. Um, as do a lot of things that kind of try to type people like that. Uh, But what we want to talk about is uh, an alternative, another test that's a newer one. Uh, And this one is called the VIA assessment, and that's V-I-A. And the VIA assessment is something that was made uh, in the early 2000s, so quite a bit younger than the Myers-Briggs, which has been around for decades. And what this one does is it measures 24 different character strengths and shows you which ones are your top ones, which ones are your core strengths. So unlike the Myers Briggs in this, y- your traits are not opposed to each other. It's not like, Oh, I have a strength in extraversion or introversion. For example, it doesn't work like that. Just each of these is just, you have more or less of a certain strength. And the point of it though, is not about identifying like problem areas and trying to improve those. Like a lot of tests out there, But this one is focused on figuring out what your strengths are so that you can actually focus on using those strengths more to your advantage. Mm. And these are character strengths, by the way. This isn't just like, uh, I have a strength for, you know, word processing or, right, I have a a strength for taking standardized tests, right? It's not not those kinds of of strengths. (laughs) These are more character strengths. Mm Mm-hmm. So perhaps where we could get started here and we are going to talk about some links to where you can take these tests and learn more about all of this in the show notes and also later in this episode. But right now uh, we all took this test and I wanted to start by talking about what each of our top five strengths are. Cause that's what this test is meant to show you is what your top five strengths are. Uh, do you want me to go first?
0: Yes, you should for okay. sure.
1: Okay. So my top strength is judgment, judgment, critical thinking and open-mindedness that's that's all one strength together followed by creativity curiosity appreciation of beauty and gratitude who's next
2: uh so my top five were uh, also curiosity or interest in the world um this one, which I found is interesting, but it's capacity to love and to be loved. Um, there were a lot of questions on the test that were about, you know, basically, like how much does it sound like you that you agree with the statement that I'm very aware of love being in my life or I'm able to give love to other people, which I thought were, was really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So that one shot up to the top. I also got the judgment critical thinking one, um, the love of learning. And, um the last one that I got was perspective wisdom, which basically just means I'm a relationship coach. <laughs> <laughs> it pretty much falls in line with what I do with my life these days. Yeah. Dedeka the
1: wise is what we call her. Hmm. They
2: do they do call me that in certain circles.
0: <laughs> what about oh, you, man. Em? I I got appreciation of beauty and excellence as my first, which kind of makes sense because it's about I guess it, Appreciating art and music. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then capacity to love and be loved was my second one as well. Um, and then social intelligence, which I agree with, like, being good in social situations and being able to, like, read a room. Mm. Um, and then self-control, which is funny, because that's something that my mother instilled in me at a very young age, how to control myself, and it's yeah. very interesting that that came in here. Uh, so heavily and prevalently and then humor and playfulness i do think that i can kind of add a little bit of <laughs> i don't know fun to a situation so
1: well you certainly crack us one. up pretty often yeah,
0: <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> i was pleased to hear that i did that when i was in tokyo with you too yeah many definitely. times
2: um <laughs> So what I think is most valuable about taking this assessment and why I'd really recommend our listeners to take it. And if you're in our Patreon group, I'd really recommend that you take it and then post about it and let us know. Um, Mm -hmm. because I think that knowing what your top strengths are, it automatically helps to give you like, here's a bunch of tools at your disposal. Here's a bunch of things that you're already good at that you can use when you're having difficulty or when you're facing a task or a situation that you're dreading specifically. Um, I think I found in my life that particularly as it pertains to my relationships, like if I'm feeling insecure or if I'm feeling jealous or if I'm having a hard time with a partner or I'm coming up against a bunch of conflict, it's really funny because when I saw like what my strengths were after taking this assessment, I was like, oh, it totally makes sense that like, so my number one is curiosity or interest in the world that often in my meditation practice, If I'm experiencing negative emotion, like the most effective tactic for me is to come at it with like curiosity of like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's what that feels like. Oh, it's this weird like pulsing thing in my chest. Oh, look, it's like shifting and moving and moving to a different part of my body. Oh, that's really interesting. And that like, if I can bring this curiosity to it, it kind of creates this psychological distance between myself and my feelings um, so that it's not so overwhelming. And then the second one, the fact that my number two is the capacity to love and be loved um, you know, I started thinking about that and thinking like throughout all of my experience of being in polyamorous relationships, like the worst times, like the times that I've struggled the hardest or felt the most jealous or the most insecure that I've never had. A, but it, it's like never come with a sense of like, oh, no one loves me. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like I'm always able to still tap into that. Like, yes, I know I feel like shit right now, but I still know that there's a lot of love in my life. Um, and So those have been the things that have gotten me through those situations. For somebody else, those may not at all be their tactics at all. You know, for instance, like Jay, since you also have this strength in like judgment and critical thinking and open-mindedness, like maybe for you, it might be bringing more of a sense of like super rational thought to an emotional that is or things like that. and, And
1: that is usually the most effective thing for me. And I think people listening to this show might already be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense for Jace. But if that kind <laughs> of, well, let's step back and, like, look at this. Let's take apart the pieces. Let's compare it to other things. Like, let's kind of put it through these little scientific tests to try to,
2: yeah. to yeah. figure or, out Or something. maybe a thing, like, if your strength is, like, Emily, humor and playfulness, maybe that's the thing that gets you through feeling of, like, having a really difficult time is finding mm-hmm. the humor in it or finding a way to make a joke out of it. And what I think is funny is, like, I think that for our listeners who do take this test you may find, like I did, it was like, oh, this is all stuff that I've already been doing naturally in these situations. But I think it's really good to get that reinforcement of like, oh, yeah, but this is something that I'm good at. And this is something that I can rely on. Um, So I think it's great. I think it's great to at least have that top five, or you can even go down the list and see your six or seven. And you can kind of come up with like tools and tactics for the next time that you're feeling not so great in a relationship, or you're feeling insecure, um, in order to kind of help pull yourself out of it.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, that's... And that is a great exercise to do, even just hypothetically, uh, is just to take a moment and... I mean, maybe not totally hypothetically, but just to think about a specific thing that's difficult that you have to do on a regular basis, rather than just saving it for like, oh, yeah, I'll try to remember this when I'm going through a breakup or something like that. But if just... This is a thing I have to do regularly, and I always dread it, to say, is there a way that I could use wanna one or more of my top five strengths to approach this thing in a different way and to then make it more enjoyable for me, make it easier for me to do, and then also probably will make me do it better.
0: Yeah.
1: Right?
2: Let's talk about which of these strengths are actually tied to overall well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was another researcher at the University of Pennsylvania who ran a study to see which of these specific strengths were the most significantly significantly related to one's well being. Um, the ones that they found had the most effect were um, a sense of hope, a sense of gratitude, and also love. I'm, I'm assuming that's that that's the related love and receive capacity love to yeah. love and and be loved. Yes, yeah, so that those are you know if those are in your top strengths, I, I guess the implication is that you're most likely to have a strong sense of well being. Is that the
1: well case? something something to clarify about this test because every single score is just kind of linear and you're finding Mm -hmm. your top five. Now, just because those are your top five, doesn't mean that your other ones are necessarily low, right? This is something Mm -hmm. that ideally, if you're someone who does work on your personal development, all of these scores would be getting higher through your life. And that, you know, all of these scores would be pretty high. So that uh, just because something was last on your list, doesn't necessarily mean you're bad at it. This isn't that kind of test, right? These aren't opposed to each other. Um, but so what this study did was looked at, um, measurements of well being and looked at these character strengths and tried to, uh, you know, mathematically isolate the different characteristics from each other or the different strengths from each other and found that being stronger in those ones were, were the most significantly related to well being. Now, Mm -hmm. just because those aren't in your top five doesn't mean, oh, crap, my well-being must be bad then (laughs) because I didn't have those because all of these are related to well-being. Well, except for one, but we'll get to that in a moment.
2: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I.
0: Okay, but apparently the individually, or individually the strongest correlation with well-being was between gratitude and love of learning, and gratitude is the clear winner.
1: Yeah, so gratitude was the one with the highest correlation to well-being. Yes,
0: exactly. Exactly. Which is very interesting and kind of brings us back to the top yeah. of why we're doing right. this, why we're talking about this. And interestingly, well, well yeah. Yeah, yes. but the
2: thing is they found that The character strength of humility, of being humble, was the only strength that was not significantly correlated with well being. And Mm -hmm. that's good because according to all of our assessments, humility is like really low down on the list for all three of us.
1: Now that doesn't mean (laughs) that doesn't mean, like I said, doesn't mean dickheads. We don't have that strength. It just means it's not (laughs) as strong as the other things.
0: Yes, thank you. Yeah. I know. I was surprised by that. I was like, but I'm not, like, super, you know, self-aggrandizing or whatever, but, yeah... But at the same time, I guess it's not the Emily. Highest. I
2: feel honestly, I feel like you're very a very humble person, except for Thanks. certain arenas, and those like arenas what? are like karaoke, karaoke <laughs> and Mario Kart. And like, yes, you're right. I are am the two best. At where Mario you're totally Kart. okay to not be humble.
1: <laughs> 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 That's absolutely true.
2: Everywhere else, the like everywhere else, you're very humble. But That's those very are like sweet. your two areas where. You're fine being completely arrogant.
1: Yeah, yeah. this one's interesting too because I actually read that that this these findings about humility not affecting well-being have also been replicated in other studies or have been found in other hmm. studies, um, including some that were done in Japan, actually. Oh, really? Um, that finding, which or is a very like, like humility-focused culture, but yeah. also in research here, found that humility, whether you have it or not doesn't have much of an effect, if any at all, on your Mm. actual well-being and your health. Um, Now, it could have an effect on how annoyed people are to be around you. So it still could be (laughs) a worthwhile trait to, you know, to work on or to have, especially depending on the culture that you're in. Um, But anyway, fun thing. Let's go back to gratitude.
0: So how do you increase your gratitude? So Martin Seligman said this. He said, okay, tonight and every night for the next seven days before you go to sleep, write down three things that went well today and why they went well. They don't have to be big things. They could be like you had a terrific Caesar salad at dinner or saw a beautiful sunset or you listened to a good lecture. So write down three of those things that went well today and why they went well. That's all there is to it. So this so do that, people.
1: Yeah, this is a really cool one because... I know that in sort of the positive psychology, positive thinking kind of world out there, gratitude gets thrown around a lot. And I think that um it, it can kind of sound like things like The Secret that don't have any scientific mm-hmm. backing behind them. But actually gratitude mm-hmm. does. What's really cool about this one is that this particular way of increasing gratitude um has been scientifically studied many times with very consistent results which is pretty cool and that that's um, when people do this exercise when they're tested six months later report lower levels of depression anxiety and a greater sense of well-being and this one is so easy to do too right it's so it just takes that little bit of time and I know on this show, we've talked about the five-minute journal before, which is has kind of a variation on this does. included, yeah. but just this part right here doesn't need to be any more complicated than this, of writing down three things that went well today, and why they went well.
2: And, I mean, I've gotten a lot of value out of doing this exercise. I did the five-minute journal thing for a long time, and I, I did find it was actually quite incredible. Very simple, and... but had quite a profound impact on me. And I think it's interesting, we addressed this a little bit, I think, in the in our episode we did with Jessica Graham, but but that's the thing, is like people can get very opposed to gratitude exercises for a couple of reasons. One of them being it can be like, oh, that sounds like the secret or some kind of woo-woo, crunchy, hippy-dippy bullshit, and mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> or the one that I've come up against more often is people making the argument of like well, but if I'm like constantly just trying to be grateful for the things that I have, that must mean I'm complacent and that I don't want to improve my life, that I don't want to accomplish anything, that I'm not striving for any kind of goal, that I'm just settling and trying to be happy with what I have. Um, and like I hear that argument. I get it. I would make the argument that I think that it's important to maintain a sense of both in your life, that it's it's important to maintain a sense of wanting to improve and wanting to accomplish things, but also being able to check in and have gratitude for what it is that you have in your life. However, what I do love about this exercise is that it really breaks it down to be very, very simple. I mean, when I was doing the five minute journal, I would write at the end of the day, I'd write down something like, I saw a gecko today. <laughs> 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 Jason, when we were in Hawaii, like I wrote that one down a lot. <laughs> there were
1: a lot of geckos.
2: It it's like, I saw a gecko today. Like I had a glass of wine. That was really good. Or like, I had a good conversation, a funny conversation with a stranger, like super simple things that aren't so broad as like, Mm. oh, I'm so glad I have a roof over my head or that I have a place to sleep. And it's good to be grateful for those things. But I think that it really helps to highlight the fact that every day there can be so many good, simple things, even when you have a shitty day, you know, even when you have a shitty day, but you, at the end of the day, you can still be like, well, at least I saw a cool gecko today. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds ex- insignificant and silly but it does have an impact
1: yeah it just trains you to be aware of those things um, mm-hmm. something that i really wanted to talk about in this episode but we had to take it out for time is about selective attention and how mm. as humans we really don't take in all of the world we're very much focused on what we're expecting uh, and so we'll tend to miss very obvious things if we're not You know, if we're too focused on something else. And I think that this type of training helps us to be more aware of those positive things so that we can see them when they happen, which I think not only leads to well being, but I think it also helps us to identify opportunities. That if you are more tuned in to looking at positive things or looking for and noticing positive things that happen, that I think it can actually make us more likely to see, oh, hey, this is a great, opportunity to advance my career or oh wow this is a an awesome experience that i could go have that i might not have noticed otherwise you know whatever it is it can look a lot of different ways yeah could even just make you better at noticing parking spots when you're driving around (laughs) um so i'm actually i'm really excited about this because we are going to be doing a gratitude challenge we're going to do this seven day gratitude challenge of writing down three things that went well today and why they went well in our patron-only Facebook group, which is Mm -hmm. only for people who contribute to our Patreon, which you can do at patreon.com slash Multiamory. Uh, And if you contribute $5 or more, we have a private members-only Facebook group that no one outside of the group can see that has just a ton of amazing sharing every day. Uh, and I think this will be a really fun exercise for all of us in that group to do together for whoever wants to participate. So we will see you there. And if you want to join, that's patreon.com slash multi Can't wait. All right. So we've talked about the past. We've talked about our present state. Now we're going to talk about the future. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Into, into the
0: future. The
1: future. <laughs> so, as humans, our default state is actually thinking about the future. Uh, and this is a really cool one where there have been like a, a gazillion, or my favorite number, a fucktillion, of a fucktillion studies done about the way that our brains light up and what areas of our brain are activated when we're Uh, doing sort of mathematical problems or solving anagrams or something like that. And so there's this huge body of research, right? Like over a thousand studies have been done on this and, you know, anytime you're doing a study, you need to have a control group. So what you would do is you'd have people in the fMRI machine, you know, the big donut thing. It's measuring their brain and you ask them to do math problems or to solve some sort of logic problems or to do anagrams and you study how their brain works. But then in order to get a sense of how that's different from our default, you also have moments where it's just lie there and don't think about anything, right? Just, just lie there. And they found that every time people would just be, lying there, they the same pattern in their brains would light up. And this ended up being named the default circuit was the mm-hmm. name that they gave it. It's just like sort of, oh, that's interesting. Humans by default go to this kind of configuration. And what they found later on is some researchers came along and found that when you ask someone to think about what are you going to do this weekend? Or, you know, what are your plans for tonight? What are you going to have for dinner? Or here's a, a, you know, remember something that's happened in the past, and now how are you going to make a decision about the future because of it, right? Like, uh, I did this thing that didn't go well. I You know, I got rejected on a date. What do you think you could do to improve so that next time that would go better, right? That all of those things lit up this same area of the brain, which is about predicting the future. It's about like creating possible futures, imagining possible futures, and then evaluating them for how would those feel? How would I like that? And that through that, that's how we make decisions.
0: And so our thoughts about the future are way better predictors of what we'll do in the future than what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, I mean, I know, like, if I look at a relationship, sometimes I'm like, well, this happened in the past. So it's going to happen again in the future. But our thought processes about the future, I guess, are better predictors of what will actually happen mm-hmm. than those events in the past.
1: Right. But that so often we just take for granted that that our brain does this and we don't give it a lot of active thought, that we are thinking mm-hmm. about multiple possible futures and deciding which choices we're going to make because of that. Yeah. Um, and essentially what we can do is we can train ourselves to be better at this type of future imagining. Um, And so this kind of future imagining, you know, involves like daydreaming, imagining or planning the future, uh, retrieving personal memories, making meaning out of things. A lot of the stuff that we've already talked about in this episode, also reading fiction actually is a a Mm -hmm. big contributor to this. I've also heard other research that reading fiction specifically will help um, children, be better in science classes or be better achievers of scientists is reading fiction actually, because Mm. I think because it's engaging this part of the brain, that's sort of projecting Mm -hmm. our mind into a state we're not in right now, it could either be, you know, our own future. I'm projecting my mind into tonight when I'm eating spaghetti and seeing how do I feel about that versus projecting myself into the future tonight when I'm eating sushi and going, Ooh, I like how that imagined state feels better. I think I'll have sushi tonight. Right. Mm. And the same thing happens when we're reading fiction, where we're putting ourselves into the minds and into the places and the feelings of the characters in the book
0: that we're reading. Cool.
2: So something I want to clarify about thinking about the future or daydreaming or imagining the future. I know something that I've personally really struggled with in the past is, I know I mentioned earlier in the episode that I've gotten a lot of like learned pessimism, um, mm-hmm. And I know for myself that very much one of my self-preservation techniques is to imagine a negative outcome, not to an extreme, but like to what I judge to be a realistic extreme um, mm-hmm. or a realistic extent, uh, so that I can already prepare for it ahead of time. And I don't, and I can't get my hopes up essentially, um, because I think that what a lot of people fear is that imagining a bunch of possible outcomes for the future could be delusional or it could be setting us up for disappointment later on. Um, And the thing that has helped me with this is realizing that it doesn't mean that I have to just like put my head in the sand and ignore all the possible realistic outcomes and just try to be all Pollyanna about it and then get disappointed later. But for me, it's been more shifting my thinking about the future into just like, it's more that it's like a blank slate, which means... It could be anything. It could be such a wide variety of options, good, bad, neutral, you know, an infinite number of possibilities, an infinite number of, uh, I guess, different universes if we want to start getting sci-fi with it. <laughs> um, Just
0: quantum physics.
2: Yes, yeah, like like if we're going to be all quantum about it. Um, that it's not about, oh, I need to imagine a future that's super positive or imagine an outcome that's super positive and just kind of delude myself into thinking it's all going to be good, but more of I need to focus on just like the wide spectrum of options that there are. And I think that's what lies at the heart of these studies and these results is that it's not about just like, you know doing the secret and imagining a positive right. outcome and then you get it. It's more of really embodying that sense that there are many, many options, some of which could be good, potentially.
1: And and I would say, as an actual way to improve this for yourself, is to take it out of sort of the abstract way that you were talking about, sort of the infiniteness of possibilities, but actually just take some time and think about what are possible other scenarios that could happen in this situation in the future, whether it's about... A date or it's about going out to dinner or it's about taking a new job not to say I'm going to figure out which one's going to happen but instead just to exercise that part of your brain of thinking and you know try some options that are super out there it's like I might take this new job and we'll you know meet Tom Cruise and he'll take me on a spaceship and right like, I don't know as <laughs> That's cool a terrible as example Right. But, you know, could be really out there examples of, oh, I'll do this. And by walking that way home, I'll buy a lottery ticket and become a millionaire. But then also think about some of the negative ones, like Dedeker was saying that, oh, well, mm-hmm. this bad thing could happen. But I'd also be okay, because I would figure out this way to be resourceful in that situation. And try to find, you know, some other ones that are more realistic and kind of cover that whole spectrum to really train your brain, just like we did with the gratitude is to train your brain just to think a little bit differently to see that there are these other options rather than, um, I think so often we get stuck in expecting the same thing to happen. That's happened in the past of saying, Oh, well I'm, I'm bad on dates because I've always been bad on dates in the past, for example, that that doesn't necessarily have to be true.
2: And I think
0: mostly you just have to be open just open to new experiences, which we talked about when we were in Tokyo, um, just being like open to whatever comes our way, because that also is a great predictor of creative achievement over the course of one's life. That's Mm -hmm. been shown to be the number one predictor of creative achievement, just being open to any new experiences, which is great for polyamory too.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, that openness to just seeing other possibilities, I think could be really related mm-hmm. to when people are first opening up, looking at things yeah. like jealousy or, you know, their time management or how they think about, you know, the way that their partner's relationships may go or the way the the way their own relationships may go, that yeah. this openness and understanding that there are a ton of different ways the future can play out, I think could be a really helpful thing. Mm-hmm. And i'd love to see some studies about that i actually wrote down some notes of like i want to do studies about this let's let's put together the multi-emory research branch oh, multi-researchery yeah, r-
0: multi-researchery
1: yeah so i want to talk now about some criticisms of positive psychology now there are a lot of them out there uh Positive psychology, what I like compared to other things like just visualizations or things like that is that positive psychology actually is a legitimately academically researched field in psychology. It's not just some sort of armchair psychology or pop psych kind of thing people have come up with. This is something that is has been actively researched and is still being actively researched, um, you know, in university labs. And that's great so I think some of the critics just start from like, Oh, it's all touchy feely, positive woo woo crap. Kind of like you were saying (laughs) earlier on, Emily, right? It does kind of, because I think a lot of pop psych has taken ideas from this. Mm -hmm. We do get a little bit of that association. And I think those critics are just kind of, you know, Oh, well, uh, sorry that you hate positive things. But what I do think are some really apt criticisms is this idea that if you're just looking at positive feelings and positive behaviors, and then looking at the positive outcomes that those will get, you miss out on seeing what are some things that might actually be negative actions or negative feelings that still get positive results, or what might be positive feelings or positive things that achieve negative results. So, uh, two researchers who are named, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to try my best with these names. Todd Kashdan and Robert Biswas-Diener. I hope that's right. Uh, they wrote a book called The Upside of Your Dark Side. And in this, they both do research in positive psychology, but they criticize this focus on only positive feelings are, you know, the ones worth having. And not that positive psychology actually says that, but to, to be a little bit, um, uh, what's the word? Hyperbolic. That that, you know, it's just always focusing on positive everything that their research looks at what are some potentially negative feelings or negative traits that can actually lead to positive results. Some examples of this would be that anger can make us creative or selfishness can make us brave and that guilt can be a really powerful motivator. Um, there's, you know, lots of other things. Um, depression has been shown to be useful to societies in studies done with, uh, chimpanzees. So, right, there's, there's all sorts of different things here and their book covers more of those things.
2: So I think what I appreciate about their take on this is the fact that having a meaningful or having a satisfying life doesn't mean completely disconnecting yourself from any kind of discomfort or pain. Again, when we were talking to Jessica Graham, we talked about the spiritual bypassing thing. And I think that the idea of positive psychology, even though maybe it doesn't have a spiritual basis, it can definitely be tempting to fall into the same pattern of, well, I'm only going to focus on the positive and none of the negative and none of the pain. And I'm just going to kind of, you know, force myself to go through life living that way, which is denying a large part of life, which is the discomfort and the pain. Um, You know, one of my favorite people, uh, Alan Watts, good old Alan Watts, or A-dubs as I like to call him, uh, he all the time says you can't have the yin without the yang, as Mm -hmm. in you can't have the good without the bad, you can't have the way without the crest, that, you know, experiencing discomfort, experiencing pain, experiencing negativity is something that helps us to know when there is positivity, or Mm -hmm. when there is happiness, or when there is pleasure, that we couldn't have just one without the other. Um, Ultimately, I think that we found through all these studies is that by being able to train your focus on the times that are good without completely blocking out the bad, I think that's the important part of this, is that without slipping into denial or slipping into suppression of your feelings... But still being able to kind of train your brain to be more in this modality of seeing the good, of seeing the positive, of really, truly soaking it up and feeling it, that that's going to kind of lead to your day-to-day life just feeling better overall.
1: Yeah, I think it's worth noting that in the positive psychology research, too, we talk about well-being and not happiness. That there mm-hmm. is, I think, this common misconception that the goal is to be happy all the time. But as as you were saying, Dedeker, that's not what life is. That if we were happy yeah. all the time, we wouldn't know what happiness is because it would just be neutral. Um, and the other part of that is um, that in looking at things like improving gratitude or optimism rather than happiness, these are things that have actually been, you know, that have research backing them up that these things actually... Improve quality of life, improve our productivity, improve our success, improve our health, rather than just focusing on this ephemeral thing of happiness or just positivity, mm-hmm. which is is kind of a hard thing to measure, because, um, like we said, you can't have the good without the bad.
0: Yeah, and for all of you self knowledge <laughs> online testy people out there. <laughs> we have the jackpot for you so authentichappiness.org um is full of psychological tests, tests and it's backed by research to help you learn about yourself and find ways to improve yourself or just kind of see what you want to see and learn a little bit more about yourself yeah. learn stuff like we did yeah that's uh, where we all about- took
1: that test
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. So again, uh, go to AuthenticHappiness.org to find these tests that we are talking about today.
1: Yeah, and you create a profile that is actually um, you know, anonymously collected for furthering this research as well, which is cool. And they'll occasionally do um, little short-term studies. Of, like, oh, hey, we have a study going on right now if you'd like to participate in it. Uh, So it's a pretty cool thing. And you can go back and access your old results and retake tests and see, you know, track your progress. Um, Because, you know, these character strengths like gratitude and optimism are things that you can actually learn. That these aren't Mm -hmm. just, it's not like, oh, well, that's my sign. I'm always going to be this way because I'm a cancer, right? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it
0: is. Yeah, you are.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So as we're coming toward the end here, we would like to give a shout-out to Marianne. Uh, This shout-out is that um, to my wife, Marianne. She is the love of my life, has supported me in every step of not just polyamory, but has supported me through really hard life decisions. Aw.
0: We have one more shout-out. Puppy, if you've made it to this point, I will let you do that thing you've been begging me to let you do. Text when you've heard this. There's so Ooh. many questions! Oh my god, I can't wait to like hear know, right? what happened. I, I, I'm like, it
1: could be anything.
0: It
2: Puppy, really be sure be to text.
1: Right, it, you Puppy, know what?
2: Puppy, will you text you know us too and let us know what happened?
1: <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so these shout-outs are for people who contribute at the $15 a month or greater level on Patreon, in addition to Mm -hmm. the private Facebook group and our monthly video discussion group. They also get to have a shout-out on the show. So thank you for doing that, and I hope that these wonderful lovers appreciate their shout-outs, and I'm really curious about what this is.
2: (laughs) So, if you also have a question or a comment that you would like to have played on the show, you can leave us a voicemail at Six seven eight multi 5 Uh And you can leave us a voicemail there. You can also send us an audio message at the Multiamory Facebook page. You can send us an email at info at Multiamory.com, or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash Multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlash, and me, Dedica Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.